Hey girl, I'm your host Diana, and this is Our Space, the podcast where we talk about the health and well-being of Black women with Black women. Hey y'all, welcome back. Y'all know the vibes. Let's get this out the way early. There is no guest. The only voice you're about to hear for the next mm, 30 to 60 minutes is mine. However, This month is National Suicide Prevention Month, and later this month, we will be talking to some black women doing the work in the suicide prevention space. But today, it's just me. During the month of September, we also acknowledge Sexual Health Week, which is going on right now as we live and breathe as I speak. Sexual Health Week is the 11th through the 17th this year, but in general, it starts on the second Monday of the month in September. Sexual Health Week was born out of the belief that everyone deserves a great sex life and no one should be criticized for it. Sexual health and well-being information should be widely accessible. So here at Change Our Outcomes, we are going to talk heavily about accessibility. As a public health practitioner, accessibility is one of the things that I, in theory, have dedicated my life to. Um, Public health is all about doing, doing more for more people, if that makes sense. So Accessibility is what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that little piece, let's talk about what exactly sexual health is. Because I feel like I could lose y'all right now if I don't tell you exactly what sexual health is or like what it means to me. If y'all are on our Instagram, which you should be, you will see that I posted today and I'm going to read y'all that post of what exactly sexual health is. But I also post a question on our stories. I posted it, I want to say around noon or one o'clock p.m. EST on the 11th so it should be up till about that time on the 12th and this episode will already be out so if that is the case if that post is still up when y'all listen to this go ahead and comment go tell me what exactly does sexual health mean to you I'm also going to put it as a question on Spotify so if you're listening on Spotify feel free to chime in there I would love to hear what y'all think about sexual health. And I say that because as someone who's working in the field of HIV prevention, which I have talked about numerous times on here, by by proxy, I guess that might be the term, by proxy, I also in general just talk about sexual health a lot because obviously HIV is a sexually transmitted disease and you gotta have sex. Now you could get it through needle sharing, but I don't talk nearly as much about needle sharing and needle exchange programs as I do um, sexual health, literally at all day, every day, I'm talking about condoms, prep, you name it. So sexual health obviously means something different to me. And obviously, I have a different understanding of even its function in society. Or I also, due to my work, have a good idea of what sexual health means to other people. And it varies by age. It absolutely varies by ethnicity, race, all of that, which we will get into. But let me let me go back, like I said, and tell y'all what exactly sexual health is. So sexual health is a state of physical, emotional, mental, and social well-being in relation to sexuality. Sexual health, when viewed affirmatively, requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having a pleasurable and safe sexual experience free of coercion, discrimination, and violence. I thought it was important to add both of those things. Those two statements did not come from the same website, one of which I got from the CDC, the other I got from the World Health Organization. But I think it was very important, at least from my perspective and because of what I want to do, I thought it was very important to bring up a an affirmative viewpoint on sexual health, but also to add that piece about coercion, discrimination and violence, because as we will talk about today, those are things that come up quite frequently with black women specifically and really can do 
damage to our future sexual experiences or I'm not going to get too much into it right now. But those are three things that I feel like come up a lot for us. So when you talk about accessibility, we have to talk about that as well. So that is the definition, the definition that I used with those two definitions. So sexual health week is an observance, as I mentioned, that happens this time during the month. However, the organization that started this observance is actually based in the United Kingdom or the UK. So because of that, they have the organization is called Brooks. So each year, like with every other national observance of any kind, be it here or somewhere else, there's typically a theme that goes with it. Their theme this year is playing it safe. And their official statement, they say being safe means feeling empowered to access contraception, testing and treatment. It means understanding consent, healthy relationships and pleasure. So, again, can't stress it enough <laughs> as someone working in HIV prevention. Um, safe and risk are two words that we are really trying to get away from as a community just because they are very stigmatizing. So immediately I was like, eh, playing it safe. But I also completely understand that if you don't work in HIV, we're calling it safe sex. Safe sex is great sex. Better use a latex. Shout out to Lil Wayne. But yeah, but because of that, not only do I think it's slightly stigmatizing, but also we're not in the UK. I have come up with my own things that I want to get into this week, but I did find value in minus the safe part, even though you should be safe during sex, um, empowered. That's a word I want to pick up on, empowered to access contraception. So this statement does not mention the actual act of accessing contraception, but feeling empowered to do so. Testing and treatment. So empowerment is something they want to stress and the understanding of consent, healthy relationships and pleasure. So for me, that understanding is something that I unfortunately do think is lost in our community. And that is what I want to get into today. So as much as I love that, and as important as safe sex is, I believe as a black American woman, I would be remiss to not mention that black women and girls typically lack access to contraception, sexual health care, and comprehensive sex education. From my perspective as a public health professional, to not acknowledge the sociocultural conditions that tend to disempower black women from seeking care or simply feeling the necessary autonomy to choose partners and the conditions of their sexual encounters would be irresponsible, I guess. It from I can't not acknowledge those things as a black woman, as a black woman trying to increase access and education for other black women to just dive right in and say, yes, I hope you feel empowered to get contraception when I know good and well that access to contraception for women in my community is low. When I know that access to comprehensive health care and health education, sexual health education is low, not only in my community, but at this point in my life, in this particular stage, in my actual geographic area it's at an all-time low so I think for me again though I love that theme and its concepts I think we as black women in this podcast are going to take a step back to talk about those those things that that lack of empowerment or disenfranchisement and also understanding consent healthy relationships and pleasure as a part of my job, one of the things that we are doing in conjunction with some other parties is research. We're doing a research study. And in that, we're talking to black women specifically a lot about their sexual health care experiences, their, their initial exposure to sex, 
and just all the things that go with that because we're doing research related to HIV prevention and we're trying to get an understanding of where women are with not only their understanding of things like PrEP for specific HIV prevention, but also just in general. Because again, as researchers, as scholars, as Black women, we understand that this is very layered. It's a very nuanced discussion when you talk about sex. Though Black women are heavily sexualized, it is often against our will. And when it comes to our actual sex, pleasure, consent, and healthy relationships with sex, we are often left out of that conversation as a whole and all of that as I'm sure y'all know listening but I brought up the research to say that the other day it was posed to us amongst our group amongst the researchers I'm a research assistant let me not you know I want y'all to think I'm about to get published I'm a research assistant but amongst the group we were discussing um one of the things that comes up a lot is that people um mention that no one taught them about sex whatever but we were kind of trying to decide like what why is that why we're basically talking about some of the logic behind people who don't use condoms and things like that and what I posed to the group was that because we already know that black people in general aren't typically talking about sex at home with that I personally think now this I ain't got no research to back this up y'all other than anecdotal and logic coming together but I think that things like condom uptake and all of that that conversation also would encompass healthy relationships, not only like romantically, but sexual partners. Cause there's also a world that exists where you will have sexual partners who are not your romantic partners. But I think obviously the conversation should be had together and it's not being had at all. So not only are we talking, not talking about the nuts and bolts of sex and all of that, we're also not talking about pleasure. And we're also not talking about what do you even do to choose a sexual partner? That is actually one of the questions that we asked the women in the research. The first question is, how do you decide, how do you make decisions about your sexual encounters or something to that regard? Like basically, how do you decide to have sex? And then the second question, because they are two separate questions, or at least when you look at it through a certain lens, the second question is, how do you decide on your sexual partners? Because those are, are two, sometimes two separate things. I don't, I don't know. It seems like they definitely should always be two separate questions, um, or at least they should always go together. That is my point that they should go together. And oftentimes we are not, again, we're not having the conversation about how you, how you pick. I can tell when I ask women that question that it, they kind of like, I don't know how I just, like, that's a good question. You just asked me. Some of them have a lot of bravado and they're like, well, duh, I choose like this. But then you can tell by the responses and the pauses that, they never really thought about this before because sex is something they just happen to fall into, if that makes sense. It's in the moment. Um, we kind of go together. We've been texting a little bit. So we had sex. But like who initiated it? How did you pick this person? How did you decide you were going to share your body with that person? And that is how I, why I think it should be two separate questions and that I'm grateful that it is. But again, two questions we are not being taught to ask before long after we lose our virginity. That is the first time someone has probably asked them a question like that. And a lot of women I talk to are college age and much older. I talked to a 78 year old the other day and we had a very insightful conversation. But again, it was kind of the first time anyone had asked them that. So there's that. I've already lost the plot a little bit, but let's bring it back. <laughs> so, so I'm choosing, I guess, I guess I didn't lose the plot because all I'm trying to say is that I'm choosing to use this week and this podcast episode to talk about sex or more so why we don't and how it's harming us as a community because ultimately it is causing harm sex is a big part of all of our lives in one way or another 
ultimately it is a large part of we mentioned physical health mental health sexual health is not separate though it is often siloed and looked at differently all of those things go together your total wellness and your your total lived experience your quality of life unless you choose to be um i think the term is asexual or just celibate or whatever sex or even the decision not to have sex is a big part of your life so to not talk about it to not to not explore some of these nuances that we're going to get into is detrimental to us as a society so let's keep going today we're going to try something new i've decided to break this girl down into segments and by this girl i mean this podcast so what y'all just heard was the intro that's the opening part looks like i'm at about 12 minutes so our first segment was just the intro we're introducing the vibes we're talking about the episode typically that intro piece is when i have a guest and i talk about them get into how i met them what have you but on a solo episode we're going to use this second segment to do what I'm going to call a data dump. Instead of trying to read and give commentary like I usually do, I'm going to give you all the data at once as bullet points, no citation, no commentary. And the goal is to not lose the plot. Like I just said that I did, but I really didn't. But this is something that I think is really important because I feel like when I'm reading and I'm in the moment and I get a little high and my mouth gets dry, I kind of forget what I'm talking about. So this is a way that I think will help me get all of the important sciencey stuff out the way and then we come back to the commentary part. The citations and sources will be in the episode blog post that will go up shortly after this episode. It will be on our website, changeouroutcomes.com. You can go there to read not only the summary of this episode, but you can also comment on the content, which is what I want y'all to do. So the blog post will be up and that's where you will find the citations, the sources, um, and hopefully other people's commentary. And that's also the place, not the blog, but the website where y'all should sign up to be on our email list because that's how you'll be ultimately notified in the future about new episodes, new blog posts, um, forum updates, whatever, sales once we get merch, you know the vibes. So go over there after you listen, while you're listening, whatever, check out the blog post. Okay, so we're going to get into the data dump. Before we get into that, though, I would like to issue a trigger warning. I use the R word and essay in the first two bullet points. Fast forward a couple seconds. If you think that this may be harmful to you, your spirit, or your current mental state, I do not want to harm anyone, and I want you to always protect yourself first. Now let's get into it. So, on to the data dump. I pinky promise, swear, that I'm not going to give any extra commentary. I'm just going to read these bullet points, and we'll reflect. So point number one, about 20% of black women, roughly or about greater than 23 million women are raped during their lifetime. Black sexual minority women, so women who are not a part of the heterosexual uh, majority, experience the highest rates of physical and sexual victimization in adolescence and adulthood among women overall. Black women have the highest rates of sexually transmitted infections, despite having fewer partners, higher condom use, and engaging in less risky sexual behavior than white or Hispanic women. Of all women diagnosed with HIV in 2018, about 57% were black. The rate of chlamydia infection among black girls aged 15 to 19 is 4.5 times the rate among white girls in the same age group. So roughly that's 6,771.6 per 100,000 for black girls. And then for white girls, it's 1,518.5 cases per 100,000. Black women have lower rates of access to and use of contraceptives. Black women have higher rates of unintended pregnancies. Black women experience higher rates of preterm births and infant deaths. 
And lastly, black women have higher rates of maternal mortality. Okay, so boom. To me, that is all, not all, because there's always room for more data if you ask me, but that is that is a lot of pertinent information because all I really wanted to do was paint you a picture of the stark disparities that exist for us in many of the facets of sexual health. So we mentioned rape and sexual assault. Um, that That is a part of lack of consent, one of the things that we talked about. And that also goes into unhealthy relationships or the lack of healthy relationships. We mentioned STIs and rates of HIV and other STI transmissions despite and I placed heavy emphasis on that for a reason despite having fewer partners contrary to popular belief higher condom use and engaging in less risky sexual behavior and by risky sexual behavior that's simply um, sex without a condom sex with multiple partners not getting tested uh, mm, that pretty much sums it up I'm sure there's other things but y'all get the vibe sex uh, risky sexual behavior also sex for money is naturally a risky behavior again we are doing less of all of those things to have higher rates of STIs so again, I just want to paint a picture of the disparities and get you thinking, because now I do want to reflect. Obviously, y'all can't talk back to me right now in this moment. However, like I just mentioned, the blog and our website, if you feel so inclined, please feel free to share with me there. Share with me in the DMs, in the comments, wherever. Or, hey, you ain't got to share with me at all. However, I do want to pose some questions that I think are very pertinent to continuing this discussion, continuing this quote unquote lesson. Mm, that sounds so teachery. I am a health educator and I am trying to educate y'all, but like this ain't no lesson. But anyway, so first question, what was your introduction to sex like? So by that, I mean, how did you encounter sex for the first time? Sex can also, I want to open this up for a better understanding. Sex does not always have to be uh, penile penetration or penis in the vagina sex. Sex is actually a whole gamut of things, depending on who you ask. Kissing, heavy petting, um, oral sex. All of those things are under the umbrella of sex. So what was your introduction to sex like? I'm going to pause for a second. And then I'm also going to interject my introduction to sex. Um, it's a little bit murky. It's a little bit... I, I ain't going to get into too much. I ain't, don't, not too much on me. But I, what I do feel comfortable sharing is that I often have mentioned on this podcast that um, I did get information from Cosmopolitan. I, I was that girl that seems so I don't even feel like I'm old slash young enough to actually have been using magazines for like sexual tips and questions and things like that. But I absolutely was. I remember being in high school looking at Cosmo. I remember very specifically reading a column that was like confessions from people confessions about like just various sexual things and it might have been about oral sex specifically but I'm not sure I don't remember. But the thing I do remember is that there was a submission from a girl that said she fell asleep while giving her man head and he started calling her sleepy head and i just obviously that stuck with me because it's hilarious but like get into the fact that th those were some of my first introductions my first thought was okay so based off this article don't fall asleep check don't use your teeth check got it okay but that's where it stopped i never went to a peer my sister my parent about like, okay, so what, what is oral sex? What exactly is going to go on? Um, another little quick anecdote, as a sexual health educator, I do give out condoms on a regular basis and I have a variety of them. And one of the varieties we have are flavored condoms. People are often like, girl, what you do with these? They're, for the most part, from my understanding, are intended for sexual, or not for sexual, well, yes, for sex, but for oral sex. 
and the looks I get and the honesty that I have to give the people that I'm engaging with that day is I was like, I never in my life thought about using a condom for oral sex. And again, part of that is due to the fact that I never asked anyone older than me or a doctor or anyone about oral sex. What do you do? Because, I mean, let's be real. How do you just, you know, ask that question like, hey, mom, what's up? How was your day at work? So I'm ready to give a blowjob. What do I do? That would have went over so poorly. I feel like even right now, my mom listening to this is really going to be thinking to herself, not you out here giving blowjobs. But anyway, this ain't about me or my mama. This is about you and y'all's mamas and y'all introduction to sex. So I brought up magazines and also my peers. I again, but I didn't learn nothing from them. Nothing. That is also a question we ask in research. How did you first learn about sex? And truthfully, I have yet to hear anything of not not that it's not valuable, but I ain't heard nobody say anything to the effects of like, yes, I had this one friend. She was more experienced. She taught me X, Y, Z, boom, 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 straight to the point. I feel like everyone has experienced stories with their peers, but like, I feel like I'd be hard pressed to find a find people who truly went and asked their peers like girl what do I do with this or how do I do this or what have you so think about that think about your introduction to sex the next question I want to ask is what do you think the common theme amongst all of that data is we're pausing we're waiting so for me personally as a public health professional not to give y'all the answers hopefully you paused and thought about this before, before I jumped back in. And by pause, I mean literally pause the cassette. Oh God, not a cassette. Not I was born in 1983. Pause the podcast and then come back. But anyway, as a public health professional, to me, I hear immediately racial racial disparities. Obviously, I every single statistic I gave you was about black girls in comparison specifically, typically to white girls, Latina girls, whatever. So one, obviously racial disparities. So when you think about racial disparities in the term of public health, typically those disparities stem from, which is something that I feel like I have to explain to people a lot. It is not literally because you are black that you are like, oh, more like biologically susceptible to certain illnesses, be they STIs, HIV, or chronic diseases like diabetes. It's not literally because you're black, but it is because of other factors that are also related to race so like biologically being black does not make you more susceptible it is all there are all the other social determinants of health as we call them that go into some of these things like for example i mentioned lack of comprehensive health education if you look at a map of like conservative states you might find that a lot of those states are practicing abstinence only when it comes to sex education in schools um or just in general so even if maybe some of the schools do have them you will often find that black kids are in areas that have fewer resources at their schools um so that might be a lack of a health class or whatever i'm sure they probably have health class but maybe it's mushed together with something else but like y'all get my my vibes that sometimes we are at schools that have fewer fewer resources and less less access or being a minority, minority dense areas are often typically like healthcare deserts. Between rural areas and minority dense areas, there is a stark difference in the lack of access to um, to healthcare, or even things like transportation to get to your appointments. Maybe you live relatively close to a Planned Parenthood or some other free clinic because we also know that minorities are 
the most affected by lack of insurance coverage. So maybe you have to go to a free clinic and you live relatively close, but you live in an area where the public transportation system is extremely segmented. So those are the things that I hear. So when I hear racial disparities, I immediately think of also the social determinants of health. So again, I want to reiterate, it's not because you are black biologically, it is because you are often in situations that automatically put you behind the eight ball due to years of race-related policies and systemic racism, oppression, white supremacy. Y'all know the vibes. I mention it every single episode. You want to know why? Quick side note, because it's always relevant. One of the things that burns me up the most in life is when our palm-colored counterparts try to act as if racism is like anecdotal. Like we come up with it in these situations. When at the end of the day, racism is literally sewn into the fabrics of this country. So like, miss me with that. So race is always important. It's not a race card. It is simply a fact. I digress. We move on. So those were the commonalities that I found in that data. Maybe you came up with your own. And if you did come up with some, share them with me. So anyway, the very last question that I want to pose to y'all to reflect on this data dump that I just brought you is if your answer to the first question, your introduction to sex, if your answer was not something along the lines of my parents or a physician, you know, someone like that, how do you think things, so your choice in partners, your relationship status now, your relationship to even the concept of sex, because that is a thing, your relationship with sex, how do you think they would be different now had someone in your home talked to you about sex? We're pausing, we're thinking. Okay, um, for the sake of transparency, obviously, and being right here with y'all, because no matter how many deg degrees I have, no matter how I'm trying to teach y'all, I'm, I'm in the group, I'm in the numbered, <laughs> I'm with y'all too, so I will answer the questions that I, whatever I ask y'all, I'm always going to answer because I'm no different. I am a black woman. I'm experiencing these health disparities. So anyway, so I slightly mentioned this already. My introduction to sex did not directly come from my home, as in my parents. She did buy me to Cosmo. That girl did buy me to Cosmo. However, we never, that, mm -mm, mm -mm. no ma'am, that is not what we talked about. So I think had that been an open conversation, um, I also want to preface that though I have not experienced any of the aforementioned data-related points like unintended pregnancy, infant death, whatever, those things, though I have not mentioned those, um, obviously I have a equally complicated relationship with sex as probably everybody else. But I do think had that conversation been brought to me, I think since I've always been a very curious person and a very curious child, and I admittedly was also from my recollection of my childhood and teen years and preteen years, I was always very curious about sex, if we're being honest. And I think had I had the space to talk to someone about that, I would have made different and more informed incisions, decisions, not incisions, decisions about my choice in partners. And I think I also would have had a better understanding of my relationship to sex. I think we can all relate to hearing things about being quote unquote fast, which y'all know I hate. Um, also being raised in the church, obviously I was definitely strongly encouraged not to have sex with nobody before I got married. Um, those things, I, I was, sex was never mentioned in a positive way in my household. Not in, not in a negative way. My mom definitely told us how we got here, but like it, it wasn't dinner table talk, which as a person who does not have children, I don't know if I want to talk about sex at the dinner table necessarily with my kids, but just, just in general, it was not something that we were talking about. And I think had I had the space to maybe do that, 
I would have done things differently in my younger years. Or maybe even because when you talk about sex, I think it also opens up the the conversation about self-worth indirectly. It opens up conversations about self-efficacy or like your thoughts on your uh, your ability to do something. So self-efficacy is that. Um, so when you talk about sex, that comes up. Worth comes up. Um, critical thinking comes up, I think, or at least it should. And just an understanding of what role you as a woman play in sex and again, when that conversation is not had, all of those things are lost. And when those things are lost, you are moving through a world who that is not kind when it comes to black women, especially not when it comes to sex. So you're moving through this world so uninformed and so at a loss, figuring it out as you go. And that just seems to also be a common theme in our community, allowing our children to figure out things as they go. So though I have no regrets, I love my mama and she did the best that she could. And I don't know if I would have wanted to talk about sex with me either. But I do think going forward that I know that I would want to talk to my daughter about sex because I know that it can make a big difference. Because it's not it's not the birds and the bees that you really need to talk to them about. I think biologically it that part happens naturally. It's the other things. It's the other bits and pieces of that conversation, that, that, that self-worth piece, that acknowledging that you have autonomy over your body. If God forbid your first introduction to sex was not by choice, um, which chances are probably, it, no, nope, I ain't gonna put that on y'all. If it wasn't though, if it wasn't by choice, um, you already have learned that you, that the autonomy over your body is not yours. And that's not true. So, Again, slightly lost the plot, but we're bringing it back. Um, that those are the things, the nuances, those are the things I want to talk to my daughter about. That you're worth choosing, being chosen, but you also have the right to do the choosing. That you don't have to just go along with what some man say because he kind of like you. Which is where I feel like I fell into the trap. But but yeah, talking about self-worth, talking about talking to my daughter about the fact that you can have your own condoms. You do not have to, oh, well, he got it. But you don't know that because y'all never talked about it because you're teenagers and y'all don't think critically um, or what even grown folks. There are women and this is not to shame or belittle anyone, but there are women who don't believe that they can carry their own condoms and make that choice with a partner and not even with a partner. The choice ain't no choice, really. If you want to use condoms, that's it. And the partner that you choose or have chosen should abide by that. And if they don't, I know I've said this to y'all once before, but that ain't the one for you. If someone cannot, and I'm not talking about a relationship, I'm talking strictly sex. If the person you are choosing to share your body with doesn't respect and honor the fact that you would like to use protection, that ain't, mm -mm, don't do that. And I'm saying don't do that from the perspective of, of just someone who cares about you. I don't, I don't know, but it, because to me that, that's respect. That's plain and simple. That's that's courtesy. That's respect. If she says she want to do this, do that or leave her alone. And oftentimes, I'm going to tell you all now, these men not going to leave you alone. So you <laughs> you have to make the choice and put your foot down and that and always know that you have that choice and you have that right. So, yeah, we're reflecting. We're done. We did the data. We're done reflecting. Well, I'm, hopefully you're not done reflecting, but we're done with my reflection questions. I don't have any more. So with that, we are going to slide into our last segment of the day. This episode is going to end with a segment that I'm going to try to modify and use with all guests going forward. I'm going to use them in my solo episodes, but 
the girls are telling me I need to give y'all some more of my, to give y'all some of my hot takes. Y'all know me as y'all hot girl health educator. But low key in the streets, I'm just a hot girl. Period. <laughs> I'm a hot girl. I'm a Sagittarius. I say what's on my mind. My man, my mom, my sister will tell you I don't I have tact. Contrary to Sagittarius popular belief, I am tactful most of the time but I will not shy away from saying what's on my mind especially the more healed I get shout out to Miss Karen I'm gonna let you know but I don't do that with y'all on here because here's the other thing I be cussing I be cussing in real life so like I don't want to do that on here <laughs> for various reasons a I just need to stop because that's not ladylike but also like it's just not good I'm smart enough to use other language and I don't ever want my content to not be received because someone feels as though oh she too vulgar or what have you though that is well received on social media i ain't trying to be a social media star i'm trying to be a voice in the public health community and therefore i'll be trying to cuss at y'all but also means that sometimes i use a little bit less of maybe even what i would consider to be just like my authentic self so this particular segment now that i've rambled on is going to be called where public health meets pop culture or vice versa, where pop culture meets public health. And with this segment, I want to talk about things that I have noticed in social media. Because even though I don't talk about social media on here, I do be on social media. Like, I, I'm on TikTok. I'm on, I literally have every social media you can think of. And if I don't have it, I tried it a little bit. I done been on threads, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I didn't have Facebook since 2009, y'all. Like, <laughs> I have social media, but I don't ever take the opportunity to talk about what I see on social media because low-key people on the internet are dumb and they be making me mad. And with that, I don't think I can ever have an educated conversation or bring my perspective without rambling and ranting in an unproductive way. So to me, I've decided that I'm going to take what I see on social media and put it through the lens of public health. Like I mentioned to y'all earlier, public health is all about what can we do for the community at large to get the most the most impact. So to me, already doing this podcast and sharing it this way, um, I think it's part of my public health agenda. But also, like I mentioned to y'all earlier, social determinants of health. Social determinants of health is one of the biggest public health health promotion concepts that there is is becoming bigger because people are getting a better understanding of it and with that I think a lot of what we talk about social media on social media the nuance that is lost are things like the social determinants of health and I think that will come up with the first topic that I'm gonna bring up which is sexy red is it okay so I don't listen to sexy red my man does and at first, I was very anti-sexy red because her lyrics are wildly vulgar. I'm not even going to hold y'all. But a perspective was brought to me via social media. Well, first of all, what was brought to me was they was they were dragging it. People are very, 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 very critical of her and not in an educated way. I'm not saying everything has to have citations and notations and all of that. But sometimes people are just being mean, very mean, spirited, and ugly hearted. And that's another thing that I'm not going to partake in. However... Another perspective that I saw was that even though people have all of these negative and nasty things to say about this girl, her looks, the kind of messages that they think she's promoting. Now, because again, she's very sexual, y'all. She real sexual. She nasty. Look, but I mean that in the nicest way. She nasty. <laughs> um, a perspective that was brought to me was that, quote unquote, I ain't calling this girl ghetto. Actually, she called herself ghetto. So anyway, ghetto black girls need to be celebrated. And 
the person who said the statement, they went on to explain. But to me, that really resonated with me. And it's crazy because the person who said it, I don't really like her content that much because she got a slick mouth. And I just feel like she do too much. She she got a chip on her shoulder. I don't know. I'm not about to dog nobody. Let me back up. Take Just remove that from your memory. Anyway, just know <laughs> that that really resonated with me because even though sexy red might not be y'all the next uh what's her name megan markle she might not be the next princess of england or nothing but she's the hood's hottest princess self-proclaimed i don't, i ain't call her that but she's the hood's hottest princess because she's authentically her saint louis self and i think there's also something to be said about the fact that she's all again self-proclaimed ghetto nasty she literally calls herself a raw dog queen and by raw dog you know you know what she mean um that that is that is a part of our black girl fabric. I think when we criticize, over, overly criticize um, black female rappers, which we're going to get more into that. When we criticize women like Sexy Red, Ice Spice, Lotto, May, Cardi, y'all know, y'all know, City Girls. When we do that, we are essentially denouncing a part of us that is real. A part of us that is not only sexual and liberated. But we are not all two-time college grads from the suburbs. Some of us are are from the hood. And when I say the hood, I mean the hood hood. Not like, oh, I'm from the hood. My dad from the track. No, 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 none of that. I'm talking about the real got it out the mud hood. Some of us are from there. And when you try to eliminate those stories and those concepts, you remove a part of our overall story. Now, y'all might not agree with her lyrics. Y'all might not agree with how she carries herself as a woman, but at the end of the day, she is a woman. She's a black woman. She's an artist. She she is deserving of respect because she's a human. And a lot of the conversation that goes on around that is that she's not worthy of of respect. Ultimately, people, again, I've seen some real nasty things said about this girl. And again, that just leads me to the space of y'all don't respect her. Now, I feel like for context, for anyone who listen, who's listening and doesn't know who Sexy Red is, Sexy Red is a skinny, dark-skinned girl who consistently wears her glasses. So she is not she is not one of the lottos. She not Cardi. She not like lighter-complected. She brown like me and some of y'all. And she's skinny, even though she stays safe. She got a big butt. She's skinny. <laughs> and she wear her glasses. And she wear her super long red and black weave with the rhinestones in it and whatever. So why did I add that context? To me, it was important to to mention her, what she looks like aesthetically, because what do we know about about our the current climate of our culture? Colorism is very much real. Colorism goes back all the way to to the Stone Ages, if we probably well no. Goes back to at least slavery, so not to be dramatic. But no, seriously. Colorism plays a huge part in what I believe is the perception of of sexy red and girls like her i feel like though black female rap as a whole gets criticized for being raunchy and being nasty and we only talk about our p word i'm not gonna say the p word on here but y'all know what the p word is um that we only talk about scamming dudes and money and da 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 though that is the narrative that narrative i feel like is partially amplified when the person saying the lyrics rapping the lyrics is a darker skinned girl or a unambiguously black girl and here's why i say that ice spice now ice spice is one of these new little girls that i kind of like but ice spice if i'm not mistaken though she identifies as black uh culturally she is dominican she's very fair the girl has red hair now i can't decide if that red hair is natural or not it's definitely not a natural auburn color it's like orange but aesthetically she is quite literally the polar opposite of someone like sexy red now i'm not gonna hold y'all and act like 
ice is giving the same level of raunchiness however i have not heard that same discourse around around her music and i have also not heard that same discourse around look i like ice space but y'all definitely talking about her her appearance much differently she's got a really big butt i already mentioned she light-skinned now this is not my place to call in attractiveness. Attractiveness is, by some sociological standards, it is uh, objective, not subjective. But I will say this. I don't really think facially, I'm talking about face, not color, not booty size, none of that. I don't think she looked no better than Sexy Red. However, the way these men be gobbling her up is a thirsty one. But two... It just goes to show that to me, and this is a discourse that actually comes up around her career because she blew up so quickly. A lot of women on the internet, black women obviously, mentioned that colorism has played a huge part in that. And black men be ready to dog us out, saying, no, she just can rap, da 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 Y'all always talking about colorism. Now again, mind you, I like Ice Spice. I like her little New York style drill rap. But to act like colorism doesn't play and we didn't even got to talk about anecdotally. We have data that shows us that colorism plays a huge part in our success, not only in something like the rap game, but even in social con in the social context um, when it comes to dating, desirability politics, but also even that extends to things like jobs. It's, it's a well-known fact that prettier people are more likely to get called back for jobs. And in America, in the context of black America specifically, prettier is oftentimes equated to to color. And again, this ain't me being, oh, it's because I'm not even that dark for real. And I even hate saying the words, not that dark. But like on a uh, on a scale, I would probably be somewhere tiptoeing toward the middle between light skin and dark skin. I think the internet would call me brown. But I, it has affected me and it affects all of us either positively or negatively. But again, the men be on our necks saying that we making this up and that Ice Spice is the next coming of freaking... Lil' Kim or something. That she's just the best rapper alive. And we just can't stand the fact that she's light-skinned. But that's not it. Because going back to my original point about respect. There's a level of respect that Ice Spice has garnered. Not because of her lyrics or the nature of her music. But because men find her more appealing visually. And therefore. Which we also have well documented proof of. In social, um, in social science context. That men. When they find you attractive. They treat you better. Again, this is not anecdotal, and I think oftentimes, going back to my original point, I do often think that this is the level of nuance that is lost. People don't be trying to do their Googles real quick to pull up the cited sources that show that women who are objectively or conventionally attractive receive better treatment. That's just, those are the facts. So then when you add in the layer of the fact that someone like um, Sexy Red is so incredibly raunchy, that not only, it plays against her that she dark-skinned, but the fact that as a culture, because we don't talk about sex, because we only see black women as sexual when, when men or society decides, we can't stand the fact that this girl has the audacity to not only say that she looks good, but that her woo-wop is good and, and that she can rap and she don't care what y'all think. And I think that's what be making people the most mad. She does not care. However, I care. I'm not going to start listening to Sexy Red, but I really want us to start thinking critically about the way that we judge the the perceived sexual activity of black women and how we project that and what that does to us. We're bringing it all back together right now in this exact moment. When we degrade and, and 
and downplay, not even downplay, but like when we degrade women like Sexy Red, other black female rappers, un other unambiguously black. And by unambiguously black, I mean, ain't nobody questioning if you got two black parents. And that ain't no disrespect if you don't, but y'all know what I'm getting at. When we do that, we... We, we we continue to perpetuate these ideas, these antiquated ideas of being a Jezebel or, oh, she a hoe because she do this. Is she a hoe or is she expressing herself sexually? Are black women not allowed to experience pleasure? Are we not allowed to operate and move through life solely focused on our pleasure and our bodily autonomy? And and not to be crass and not to be to be dramatic, but it seems like it's cool when y'all bring up, oh, she got a fatty, she got this, or you in the group chat talking to your dudes, and hopefully I ain't talking to no man right now, but if I am, y'all in y'all group chats talking about, oh, her, she was like a waterfall, this, that, and the third, that's cool, but when I say, you know what, I got that ill nana, I'm, I'm now crass, and I need to act better and act like a lady, what does that mean? What does it mean to act like a woman is sex, not a part of being a woman? Or are y'all so conditioned to believe that a black woman's body is a commodity that y'all can't comprehend us taking back the power that has been stolen from us for centuries upon centuries? Literally, black women's bodies used to be used for scientific experiments. We lacked that much autonomy. Before the, the word autonomy existed, we already didn't have it. We didn't have agency. We didn't have the authority of our bodies. And bringing back just a touch of data, I have brought this up before on this podcast, that one in, flat, one in four black girls will experience some sort of sexual trauma before the age of 18. So again, we are robbed constantly of our autonomy, of our agency, of our bodies. And it seems as though when we try to take it back, y'all be real mad. And it'd be mad under the guise of trying to protect us, but protect us from what? Protect us from men, the men who are doing us harm, in and outside of our community, it's very puzzling and it's hard to deal with. And it's hard to deal with not because th those are my experiences as far as like being quote unquote promiscuous. It's because I want to to challenge y'all to A, stop using words like promiscuous and fast, but to accept that women, women who look like me and women who don't are allowed to have sex and allowed to have fun. I don't know. I think that's the realization I want y'all to make and to also understand the detriment that it plays to our community as a whole when not only do we degrade their music, but we do it in an open forum where, and I don't like to bring up kids too often because it's not the internet's job to raise y'all kids. However, the internet is a very much an open forum and it's a place where younger black girls who maybe are just exploring, learning about sexual experiences maybe deciding they want to take that plunge or even self-pleasure or whatever and they seeing oh I'm gonna be called this if I even want to hook up with a dude oh maybe I shouldn't so now you have a sexually repressed black girl who who for what for what why are we sexually repressed if you want to have sex you should have sex in a safe and responsible way but I just feel like y'all not seeing the ramifications of doing things like talking about sexy red. Because even though that might not be how you get down, you might not call yourself the raw dog queen. That is a reality of life. Black, white, indigenous, Asian, we all having sex. But it's something about specifically when y'all do it to black women, probably because y'all don't seem to do it to anybody else. The ramifications are deep. They run deep. Because then you have black girls who are afraid to talk, not only about positive experiences but then negative experiences if sex is always seen as dirty or wrong or i'm gonna be a hoe even if i hook up with one dude oh my body count my body count I, 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 you shouldn't have to worry about that there's so much more in life and puberty and when it comes to sexual health specifically that girls gotta worry about being worried about 
being degraded for the desire, even just the desire. And I think that that's the part where music comes into play. In theory, they speaking on desire. They're not putting out pornos. They speaking on desire. Or these girls who listen are like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to do that too or whatever. It It's desire that y'all are shaming. It's wanting to feel desirable also that we're shaming. And I think, and I think that's the part that really mm, grinds my gears. Along that line of that same topic, I didn't brought y'all sexy red and ice spice probably for much longer than I ever intended. And I brought up respectability pro- uh, politics already, which is just the concept of doing things to assimilate to uh, the most popular culture. So in our country, westernized white Christian culture, when you go against that, um, you're going against the grain. And then oftentimes people bring up respectability politics to bring you back to that. Like, oh, y'all shouldn't be doing this. Like, a bonnet conversation, wearing bonnets in public. That is a conversation that is centered in respectability politics. So yeah, brought that up already. We brought up colorism, which I didn't even have on my notes. Um, but I also want to take a quick moment just to go back to just how music in general influences us. I do have an article that I'm going to share in the blog that gives a great context to this conversation even more than what I can do for it because it's full-blown research. But um Talking about how music music does have an influence, it, that there's no denying it. But the the perspective that I want to bring up, and the same goes for trap rap or rap from men, that I challenge people to to think about the fact that these people would not have these experiences. Like this music would not exist if these people didn't have these experiences already. I think there is some level of like of thought that oh y'all talking about this, so that's gonna make people go do it. Though that does influence actions. It's not like it didn't already happen. I don't know how to phrase that better, but these are lived experiences, I guess is what I'm trying to say of people. So again, when you denounce this music, you're denouncing essentially a part of someone's lived experience, which I don't condone over here. Raunchy or not, if that's her lived experience, if that's the image she wants for herself, she's allowed to have that image. She doesn't have to pretend to be something that she's not, which is something often that black girls are asked to do, whether directly or indirectly. And yeah, so there's that but also with the music specifically um another thing that i wanted to bring up was lyrics and ideas around again i guess you know what this all on the same same thing autonomy um lotto and meg both have mentioned things about plan b's or like meg got a whole song called plan b and when i say meg y'all i mean meg the stallion again for anyone who's listening and doesn't have that context megan the stallion um and lotto lotto has a line where she like um i'll spend 500 before i ever trap you insinuating she would rather have an abortion um she got her money ready than to be stuck with a man she don't want and meg again got a whole song about popping playing bees because i never plan to be stuck with you and those lyrics and that nature of music really upsets some folks um because that again the concept is that it's it's cavalier to talk about abortion and sex that way which to an extent i can agree with but i also again think this goes back to autonomy agency I should be well within my rights always to not only abort a fetus that I do not want, but to do that as a means to also get away from being with a man. That actually, that sounds wildly irresponsible and maybe y'all shouldn't quote me on that. But my point is that autonomy and the agency should be there. Um, whether you support abortion or not, abortion is healthcare in some capa- in capacity um, and it is a right that people should have access to and let's say you are and 
and I don't even want to frame the, the situation around uh, sexual assault because I feel like that's something that comes up in that sexual assault. What about this? No. If I'm just a regular schmegular girl who made a mistake with a man that I don't want and I don't want his baby, that should be cut and dry enough. And though sometimes the lyrics can come off very cavalier, I think that that is an, a part of a, a larger, maybe unrequited desire that that collectively we all are not striving for but like the, the idea that we can do that that they are <laughs> essentially indirectly maybe in the worst possible way uplifting the fact that the choice is yours girl that, that's what I'm trying to say that the choice is always yours and it really ain't nobody else's it ain't that man's it's nobody's it shouldn't be the government's though sometimes it is um that the choice is yours and again that makes people angry partly do because obviously abortion is a hot topic but I think some of it also has to deal with the fact that people cannot fathom a black woman making a decision about her body and being so open and unabashedly like okay with it like we're doing it I said that um I wanted you for pleasure and nothing more and I stand on that oh no yeah, y'all feel me though. I already know y'all feel me. So I'm gonna wrap it up there because I think I could go back and forth about this for an hour. This is an area where I did not take notes other than the people I wanted to talk about and the concepts. So I don't have nothing else to read. I don't have a script to read anymore. So I'm gonna start rambling as I do. So I'm definitely gonna close it here. I hope y'all enjoyed pop culture meets public health or public health meets pop culture. We'll see. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Um, it might not be the hottest takes I got, but for this specific, for this specific episode, obviously I want to talk about sex, respectability, politics, and the autonomy of black women to choose and decide not only the kind of music and art that they make, but what they do with their bodies and that it really ain't, it ain't up to y'all. That's me. That's my take on it. So we're going to close out the show as we always do. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more from me and other black women professionals in the future, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, turn on your notifications and leave me a five star review, please, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Audible and share the show with the black woman you love. You can keep up with me and the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Change Our Outcomes. If you'd like to send me show ideas or continue talking about what we got going on right now, you don't want to post it on a public blog, feel free to email me at heygirl at changeouroutcomes.com. And as always, I want to thank y'all for your love and support. If y'all liked the segments today, if y'all didn't like the segments today, y'all probably still listened. And I appreciate that endlessly. And if no one has told you, black girl, you are sexy. Black girl, your body belongs to you. And black girl, you are loved. Thank you for listening.